0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is a fun one. We're talking to Weird Al Yankovic's drummer, John Bermuda Schwartz. I feel like Bermuda has kind of his own thing going. Fans of Weird Al know that Bermuda has been by his side since that very first day of recording Another One Rides the Bus for Dr. Demento in the bathroom. So... Uh, John Bermuda Schwartz has uh, been along for the ride this entire time involved in all the songs everything in fact he also serves as Weird Al's archivist he has remnants or examples or swatches or whatever you want to call it of every piece of swag every photo every recording everything ever related to Weird Al uh, he is the keeper of and so in fact last year He put out a brand new book called Black and White and Weird All Over. Now, let me make sure I get the subtext right. I think it's Lost Photographs of Weird Al Yankovic, 83 to 86. Beautiful book. Lots of pictures. Diehard fans will love this. I put a link to uh, Bermuda's website in the description of the show, so if you want to look into it, you can. But anyway... I thought it would be really interesting. I mean, Weird Al, whenever he's on a podcast, he's always so great. He tells the best stories, and he's so much fun. Obviously, he's hilarious. He's a genius. I thought it'd be interesting to find out what it's like to be his musical partner for 40 years now, which John has done. Bermuda, I keep doing, I go back and forth. Anyway, it's a really interesting conversation. I wanted to kick it off here with UHF. The theme to the, mu- to the movie that is a classic. I don't care what anyone says. If you haven't seen it for a while, watch it again. It gets better every time. And a huge, huge thanks to our friend Jeremy G- Kornreich for helping set this up. Thank you, buddy, for doing that. Uh, Bermuda called me from his home in L.A. So I've been thinking about how I wanted to kick this off with you. And one of the big questions that I have is I am so curious what... What is the Weird Al fan base? And when I say Weird Al, I hope you know that I'm referring to all of you, not just Al himself, but
1: the, well, the band Al, Al and, and the music that we all make. Yes. I mean, I mean yeah, we're we're a unit, but the name yes. Al uh, you know, is the attraction, of course. And you know, the 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 fan ba- it's a very wide, it's a very broad fan base. Yeah. And it's changed over the years. It's changed based on 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 what we've done as a band and how we've been put out there in other words when al and and initially the band got a lot of promotion on the dr demento show it was a very narrow sort of male teenage nerd core type audience and uh, not not a lot of females and and you know not too many really young kids and nobody really much into their 20s it was a very narrow demo and over the years it's grown, you know, male, female, very wide age range. You come to one of our concerts, there's 6-year-olds in the in the audience, there's 60-year-olds in the audience, there's some 70-year-olds on stage. <laughs> uh, it's it's a, it's an extremely wide demo. Yeah. And I don't think anybody has ever walked out of an Al show saying, you know, that it was terrible or they didn't enjoy it or or whatever. I mean, it's a non-stop, you know, for years we've been using multimedia for years. Uh, before it became a thing, you know, I mean, that was really rare that you saw a band with big screens and, and, you know, that was reserved for arena shows and the stones and groups like that would do that, but it was really rare. And we came in and, and we doing that in the early eighties and granted not with an led screen or, or uh, anything like that. I mean, we, we literally started with a 16 millimeter projector, you know, projecting on a, on a family size, living room size, roll up screen, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, you know, for, for parts of the, the show, and it grew, uh, you know, into uh, various types of servers and uh, LED screens and, you know, giant, you know, you know, we're synced up to that. Or I I am, I'm synced yeah. up to it, you know, and I keep the band tight with that when there's a video running that we're playing to it. Uh, there's costume changes in the show. So there's video content that runs between those changes. And so basically there's always something happening. The band is playing or, or the screen is on or the band is playing and the screen is on. Mm-hmm and there's it's non-stop for 90 minutes to two hours or whatever that that show is so it's they call it a multimedia rock and comedy extravaganza that sounds exactly right which is which is yeah that's it's multimedia is exactly it and it's a it's a rock concert and it's uh you know there's not really anything that goes on a concert that you don't hear on the record so the parents don't have to worry about you know their 10 year old hearing something that they shouldn't hear i mean they're not going to hear it from al they hear they hear worse on tv Right, right. So it's it's a pretty clean show, but it's a it's a rock and roll show. Al is great. The, the band is great, uh, and the fans are great. And and you know, there's it's hard to say what a typical fan is because there's all sorts. I mean, we have lawyers in the audience. You know, we have other kind of comedian types in the audience, other musicians. You know, pe- people from all professions, all walks of life. But it didn't start out that way. It took no. a while to to get there, and now it's just it's it's a family audience and and again there's you know there have been people that have met at our shows and got married and they're bringing their kids to the shows now it's yeah. just it's really cool you know we've become okay. friends with a number of the the longtime fans uh, and it's it's uh you know it's very cool so the fans are kind of have evolved into just Fairly normal people, yeah. You know, for what true. it's worth, yeah. You know, I mean, back in the day, they they really were focused on being sort of wacky and crazy. They would come to the concerts dressed as Al. Mm-hmm. You know, we still we still get a little bit of that, and it's interesting because they come dressed as Al the way he looked more than twenty years ago before he got LASIK surgery and took the glasses off, and and uh, for the most part shaved his mustache. Yeah. You know, and prior to that, he had the mustache, kind of the bushy curly hair mm-hmm. and glasses, and that was his look. Yeah, and that's that's how people come. And the Hawaiian shirts, which he doesn't really wear Hawaiian shirts that much anymore, really I mean, not in real life. Okay, and uh, you know, but the, but the fans are great, and yeah. and it's it's hard to say what a fan is. It's someone that likes uh, that enjoys a, a good show, that enjoys good music, that enjoys a sense of humor, mm-hmm. that enjoys the visual, that enjoys seeing Al be crazy, walking around, prancing around, dancing badly in some sort of wacky costume. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, and you know, they're, they're not rock and rollers. They're not punks. They're not, you know, new age types that would sit and watch John Tesh or Kenny G and just sit quietly and, you know, clap at the end. I right. mean, they're, they're great. The fans are great.
0: Yeah. I, uh, so there's a lot of things you mentioned there that, that I want to touch on what the reason I was going through sort of the stages of a weird owl fandom, because I was the perfect age. I was. 10 years old in 1983 and I remember hearing Eat It on the radio and Here's this guy, Weird Al. And I. it took me a couple of times hearing it on the radio before I figured out what, his, what the real name was because Yankovic was such a, you know, a mouthful. And, but, I mean, you eventually kind of grow out of that as well. It's It hits you in a sweet spot during a particular yep. stage of your life. And then you kind of grow out. You, do, you don't, no one hates Weird Al. You just
1: right. maybe have less of a need for it. But you become less fanatical and that's, that's okay. I mean, I finally let go of the Beatles about three years ago. So I, I know, I know how that is.
0: But see, so then um, my brother-in-law is a lot younger than me. And he, when he was 12 or 13, I remember being at uh, my in-laws house for Christmas and he played me, I think it was probably Poodle hat or uh, a a weird owl album that he had just discovered. You know, and he's 12 or 13, and he's like, You've got to hear this. It's so good. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, I know. I grew up on this guy, you know, and he's experiencing it for the first time. So there's this generational circle or cycle that's happening where fans eventually, some group of fans kind of mature or grow out of it, a new generation of fans grow directly into it. And then the ones who grew out eventually come back around through nostalgia because they love Al and they love what you guys do. You know what I mean? When that cycle of being too cool or needing something else in their life is over, Al comes back, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and that explains, you know, I mean, we don't, uh, you know, these, these older fans that come to see us, you know, with, with their kids who are in their thirties sometimes, uh, are, we're not necessarily fans 30, 35 years ago. I mean, they, they may be new fans, you know, and we do have some old fans from, you know, who were there in 83, 84, when we were first starting, you know, touring, but it's, it's a very wide age range. In there, and like I say, it's like six-year-olds and and sixty-year-olds and and up. You know, it's yeah. just uh, and and everyone's there just having a good time, enjoying the show. I mean, that it's like the music sort of just brings them all to one level, mm-hmm. and you know, the older fans appreciate the the new stuff, even though that's their parodies of songs they may not listen to. Right when they're listening to Al's version of it, it's an Al song. Mm-hmm. It's not oh, this is this is Eminem, you know, with right. different lyrics. It's like no, this is Al's song. He's yeah. just using that other guy's lyrics mm-hmm. and. You know, it's, it's its own thing. And, and that's, that's the deal. It's, it's all Al. It has nothing to do with whether you like hip hop or rap or, or anything, you know, that, that we've been uh, doing a lot of parodies of in the last few albums. It's, it becomes Al's thing.
0: Very true. Very true. And I have to admit, I feel a little, um, undeserving of, of talking to you because I've never seen you guys in concert and I've always want meant to. And I, you know, I was obviously too young to go back in the heyday. And then I went through that cycle of like, I don't really need Weird Al anymore. And I remember specifically a few friends of mine, uh, a few different occasions, friends of mine have gone to see Weird Al in concert. And they'll come back and say, yeah, I went to a Weird Al concert. And I'm, the first couple of times I'm like, what? You're like 25 years old. What do you need a Weird Al concert for? And they're like, no, 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 no. you don't understand. His band is incredible, and the the whole show is amazing. And so ever, everybody mm-hmm. I know who has seen you live says that same report, and it's almost like they have to defend, no, you don't understand. You think you know what Weird Al is. You should see him live, and you'll get it fully. And so I look forward to being able to do that, because apparently that's where the true magic
1: happens. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's different than just listening to the records. Yeah, I mean, yes, we play the songs like they are on the records. There's no special, well, there's a couple of little things we do differently, but you know, it's, it's more than that. You know, it's, it's the concert experience, of course, being there with a bunch of people enjoying it. It's the live sound, it's the volume, it's the visual. And there's just, there's a thing, there's a feeling, there's a thing in the air you know you're not just sitting in a seat there's stuff going on around you yeah. the applause there's a camaraderie there's uh, uh you know it's it's not that difficult to get a hold of Val after the show out by the bus you know if, if you don't mind hanging around a couple of hours he eventually comes out and if there's anyone there he'll sign autographs and take pictures yeah. he's very good with the fans uh it's a, a it's it's a good show yeah. I mean, the first time we recorded a live show. There's a couple of DVDs of live shows you know, that were released mm-hmm. and we didn't actually do one until 99 was the first time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, we got the DVD and we'd been touring already for 17 years, 16, 17 years. And I really, from where I sit, I really, you know, and I've made tapes of the shows, but it's not the same. I really don't have a concept of what it is like to watch the show from a seat in the audience. So I watched this DVD. It was literally, I think it's, it's called weird. I Yankovic live, mm-hmm. you know, clever, very clever, That's
0: super, Clever.
1: And, and, uh, it was of our 99 tour and we, you know what? We recorded it at the same place that Frampton comes alive was recorded, which is very cool. Yeah. What's interesting is that's not a very big auditorium. Oh, you get, you get the impression he's at an arena with 18,000 people. This is like a 2000 seat, you know, 1800 seat. (laughs) Never known that place in Marin County, a little North of San Francisco. Anyway, so not, no less cool. But Uh just so you know, he was not in some giant, anyway, nor were we So, short story long. I sit back and I watch the DVD and it's, it's like, why? And I'm like entertained by it. And it's like, I, I understand why people come to the show and keep coming to the show. We have fans that will come to repeat shows Uh and, and within a given tour with, with only one exception, our show is, is identical every night. Maybe we swap out one song every other night. We'll swap out one song. Uh for whatever reason. Uh, But largely our shows are exactly the same night after night as, you know, they, they come to repeat concerts. Yeah. And I think somebody once said, why do they do that? You know, what, it's the same show. What are they expecting? I said, well, you know, if you like a movie, You'll watch it again. You know, if you like TV reruns, you will watch them again, even though you know the whole plot. You'll sit there and watch "I Love Lucy," or you know, you watch game shows or whatever. I mean, I'm addicted to Buzzer. You know, the the TV uh, network that runs Match Game and Price Is Right, old ones and I don't know about
0: Buzzer. I would love uh, that.
1: I don't know what, what, who it piggybacks on, but it's B U Z Z R and it's a regular, it's a broadcast channel. It's one of the digital channels. So you don't have to, if you pay, if you pay for cable, I'm sure yeah. you get it too, Ooh. but look it up and it's, okay. it's game shows all day. Is it long.
0: classic? Because, you know, the game show network used to do that. And then I feel like they filled up their programming with mostly new stuff, which is fine, but I still want to go back and watch, you know, tattletales.
1: Yeah. And stuff that's, like that. Yeah. This is all, this is all that. Okay. So match game got price the old Price and Right prices right yes. with uh, Bill Cullen the black and white Ooh, shows from the early yes. '60s. Okay. Uh, uh, match game. They've got yeah. uh, a concentration. You know, with, and with all the different hosts, and I didn't yeah. know that uh, Alex Trebek hosted Concentration. Yeah. I didn't know that Alex Trebek hosted uh, uh, To Tell the Truth. Yeah. But there's a lot of classic shows that are syndicated, okay. and Buzzer runs them. In in that respect, you know, that's why yeah. people will come to repeat shows because they like it that much. They're not coming to see something different. I mean, a lot of bands will play different sets every night and they think they attract an audience that way. And they, they probably do, uh-huh. but we'll, we'll get people that just enjoy the show and want to see it again. Okay. There was, I mentioned there was one exception to that. And in 2018, we went out and did a tour where every, we, uh. It was called the uh, ill-advised vanity tour. There was an extremely lengthy name. We just call it the no frills tour. Uh, no server, no costumes, no nothing. Uh, just us playing. Al had to play his accordion, a MIDI accordion, and play a lot of parts that uh, you know he wrote but never recorded. He had to wow. like rehearse his own songs. Oh we God. we had to rehearse endings. We had to rehearse. You know, uh, we had to learn and relearn a bunch of songs and it was mostly our, our originals mm. and, and a lot of which we'd never played. And a lot of which we hadn't played in 20 or 30 years mm-hmm. and d- enough originals. We rotated like 50 originals such that in like 77 shows, not one show was alike. Oh. And wow. in addition, and this was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. Every night we also played one, just a straight cover song, mm. uh, smoke on the water, uh, Last Train to Clarksville, Honky Tonk Woman. I mean, classic songs. You played it straight. No straight, straight song. As much like like a cover bar band would do it. As much as we could with our instrumentation. There were a couple of things that I think he wanted to do, and it just it was just going to sound bad. You know, Mm -hmm. we wanted to do stuff where we would sound like a really good bar band. Right. You know, playing playing these songs and a different song every night. We literally learned seventy seven songs to play them one time each, and. uh, And we have recordings of, of uh, all of those shows, actually. Yeah. And I go back and listen to some of them. And uh, some of them are quite good. We played Dirty Water when we were in Boston. Really? Uh, we played Classical Gas,
0: Oh. which
1: is hard to imagine. Uh, <laughs> hard to imagine that. The reason, I think the reason we, well, there's two reasons we did that. One, I think that was like the first song that Al learned to play on the accordion. When he, you know, not like the first kind of rock and roll song that, you know, he, he put his, his beginner's book aside and was listening to music and wanted to emulate what he was hearing on the radio. So classical gas, that would have been like 68 or something like that, or you know, somewhere in there. Anyway, we did that in Eugene, Oregon with Mason Williams, the Ooh, writer and really? performer in the audience. No way. Al, Al invited him to the show. He didn't know that that was going to happen. And so we did it that night. But he wanted this. So there were two reasons. One, so he could do it in front of Mason. Mm-hmm. And we just did this like frantic version, the way he learned it when he was a kid.
0: That's crazy. Not
1: really in time. Just we sort of followed him. Yeah. And and it was okay. I mean, we did, we did okay. I mean, it was it was a little frantic. And uh again, he didn't know it was coming. And when the song was over, Al sort of said something to the audience, you know, that was, uh, you know, the first song is by Mason Williams. And he turns to the guitar player, says, I wonder, I wonder where Mason Williams is now. <laughs> and, and Jim, we knew where his seat was. And Jim says, I, th- I think he's over in row P over there. by the." <laughs> and the spot comes over and Mason, you know, stands. Anyway, we went out and had drinks with him after he, oh, that's he, great. Was, he was a great guy. That's great. He was great. But, okay. uh, you know, so again, 77 songs, uh, a lot of them suggested by me cause I'm, I'm the one guy that plays in cover bands. Okay.
0: So uh, even still,
1: oh uh, yeah. 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 So I, I just pulled a bunch of those out of the hat and it was like, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I think, uh, I want to be sedated by, uh, Uh uh, the Ramones. That's one of the songs I play in one of these bands, honky tonk woman, I play in every band I'm in. Uh, and it's, it's stuff that the other guys know, but you know, they've, they've gone past the cover band thing. They're, they're artists. They have their own music and they're not really playing in bands per se. And I, I'm not, I don't write music. I'm not an artist. I'm not, you know, I want to play in a band playing songs that I grew up. You know, learning to play drums to, Yeah, you know, now that I can play drums to them. That was a
0: question uh, I had for you. Actually, is you hitched your wagon to a uniquely specific artist? There, I mean, there is no one else like Weird Al. There are no. there are other you know comedian musicians that do a certain thing, but Al takes up ninety five percent of the headspace of that you know genre and you hitched your wagon to it early on and i've always wondered you know your brother being the session guitarist richard and he co-writes forever in blue jeans and he plays with neil diamond and other people and but you've been with Al this whole time and i've always and i've wondered do you get do you ever get approached to come play on peter frampton's new album or some you know <laughs> some straightforward rock
1: guy who you know, a- do you ever get approached for that not, not on, not at a certain level, but actually okay. at a certain level at a, at a lower level. Okay. Um, uh, and, and I do get asked to play on stuff and, and, uh, you know, which is very flattering. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nothing, uh, nothing really huge, you okay. know, nothing giant, but I mean, it's nice to be asked. Sure. And, uh. You know, and I, I certainly don't mind doing those things. And actually, during the pandemic, uh, you know, a lot of musicians will record stuff at home. You know, yeah. anyway, that they yeah. they have some of them have a career doing that, and they they ship the tracks out, and and that's their business. Mm-hmm. And I've never done that before. I actually did that a few times with some people. Actually, three times mm-hmm. this year so far, and and just, but not not a full set of drums, just some mm-hmm. wacky stuff. Like one thing was a washboard. Mm-hmm. And uh,
0: they want uh, Bermuda shorts Shorts playing
1: washboard, yeah, on their mm-hmm. song. They and they want another to be able to say was, that, yeah, mm-hmm. it was like a woodblock and a cowbell, sort of a vaudeville y sounding, sounding yeah. thing. Another thing, I did play snare drum on another thing on a on a parody of of uh, battle of new Orleans by Johnny Horton. So yeah. they wanted kind of a marching snare thing on that, which I, that's what I used to do. Yeah. So, you know, I've done a little bit of that kind of stuff, okay. but you know, it's just, it's nice to be asked. Actually, I did, I did a thing. This washboard thing was for a guy named Mark Jonathan Davis and Mark Davis is better known as Richard cheese, Richard that's, cheese, uh, lies against the machine.
0: That's, that's who I was thinking of. So I was thinking of somebody who would make up the other percentage of the, you know, national right. psyche on
1: comedian. And he's kind of, he's kind of that. And then there's a, uh, there's uh Randy, Randy rainbow, who's well known on YouTube mm-hmm. for doing a bunch of stuff, but his, and he's, he's really good, you know, but his stuff is more uh, along the lines of kind of morning show jock mm-hmm. comedian, mm-hmm. you know, you put something out and then it's just, it's gone. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not meant to be listened over and over. He's not outperforming live that I know of, mm-hmm. you know, there's just, he's got, everyone's sort of got their little niche. And all of that. But anyway, so the thing I did, and I can't talk about it because it's not out yet, that's fine. but the thing I did with Mark was, and Mark's an old friend of, of ours was, it was an interesting uh, sort of a deal. And I think he, I think he asked me to play washboard, not knowing that I'm a union washboard player, or maybe he does know <laughs> if he's in the union, I'm in the union book and he would see him. But there, yeah. but he asked me to play washboard. I said, that's, it's one of the things I a lot of fun. That's supposed to be out this summer. Oh, fun. And oh, that's it's, great. it's a, it's a, a well-known sort of a commercial metal bands song great. done vaudeville style. It's, it's hilarious. That sounds it's just w- like
0: something he would do. That
1: and and it, well, it's, it's exactly what he does. I mean, yeah. that's the kind of stuff he does, but this is, a, and I, and I like what he, I've seen him play live a few times and yeah. he's, he's really good. He's got a really good band yeah. and, and the recordings are really, really good, but I just, I really like this one good. anyway, not just because okay. I'm involved with it and I a copy to Al. Uh, he thought it was great. Cool. That's Looked great. Out. But uh, yes, I do get asked now and then, but on a, on a major level, you know, uh, no, if, if I was okay. asked to go tour with somebody, you know, uh, I would absolutely consider it. You mm. know, if it didn't interfere with Al, Al right. always, always, job. always comes yeah. first. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's my day job. Sure. And, okay. and, uh, all the other groups I'm in locally, you know, when, when I'm on the road, they all go and find subs. Hmm some of whom I'm supplied, some of whom, uh, one of the bands I'm with, I've, I've been with this guy since 1981, a guy named Rip Masters. Uh, his his main sub for me is DJ Bone Break from X. Really? Which is very cool. DJ's a fabulous drummer. I think yes, he probably he sings. And a fabulous, uh, he's a melodic percussionist. I mean, he's yeah. really, really good. And and uh, But I think he still goes out and does some stuff with X, and that's why he hasn't replaced me. Huh. You know? Uh, I saw but
0: X I, open for Squeeze.
1: Just a couple oh, of years wow. ago
0: before the pandemic happened.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, so he's, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very flattered that it takes DJ to come replace yeah, me That's yeah. great, and that I can come back in town and that I come back into the band and I do, yeah. I do that with all of my bands. Good. Uh, it, it's interesting. I, I, one of the bands I've been in for like 15 years now, uh, I, I had recommended a particular drummer to them and I went on tour and I came back I said, how did, uh, uh, how, how did he work out? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, you know, he was, he was okay. I said, well, what's the matter? Did he not learn the songs? No, he'd learned the songs. Was he too loud? Did he not have dynamics? No, no. He played, he, he was right. Did he, was his time bad? No, his time was great. <laughs> was, was he a jerk? No, he was a really nice guy. I said, well, what's the matter? They said, he's not you. Oh, and I thought, oh, that's, that's yeah. very sweet. That's great. So For that's, you, you know, so when nice. I come back from tour, uh, I I sort of waltz back into these bands, mm-hmm. and uh, and pick up where I left off, which is nice. Unfortunately, right. with the pandemic, I mean, I haven't done a gig since March of, 2020. Yeah, and is that uh, going to
0: pick back up? I mean, so many things are starting to kind yeah. of finally open up a little bit.
1: Yeah, you guys be able
0: to get back out there.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Al will be out. Uh, You know, the the plan is to go out in 2022. Uh, we did last year, last year was our year off anyway. Mm -hmm. So being at home was no big deal as this year approached and the pandemic wasn't looking, you know, a whole lot better. Uh, the booking agency said, you know what, let's, let's play it safe. Probably everything's going to be cool by the fall, Mm -hmm. you know, this upcoming fall, but let's, let's wait a little bit and, and we'll look at 2022 and and take it from there. And it's, uh, and I think things will be back this fall. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, maybe a good idea to not get caught up in all the rush to, you know, I mean, people are going to be out spending a lot of money, doing a lot of stuff, probably not on us. Right. <laughs> so we're going to wait till, till all the dust settles and Smart. then come back and, and pick up where we left off Smart. And, and like that.
0: Good. I'm curious. Um, what is, I was trying to think about what this would be. What is, what is Al's most popular song at this point? It seems I- like every few years, a new one becomes, the thing, you know, there's yeah. Amish paradise or white and nerdy or word crimes or what every few years, the new, there's a new one that overtakes all the rest. At this stage, right. what do you think is number one? What do you think is the most popular?
1: You know, it's, it's, everyone still likes, there's a couple of the oldies that they still like. They still like Yoda for yes. Lola, <laughs> from, which is, which is extremely old at this point. God, yeah. it's 50, 50 years old. I
2: met them in a swamp down in Dagobah. All the time like a giant carbonated soda, S-O-D-A soda. I saw the little runt sitting there on a log. I asked him his name and in a raspy voice he said Yoda, Y-O-D-A Yoda.
1: Lola, Lola is 50 years old at this point. Lola is. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so, so it's, you know, uh, they still like that because mm-hmm. it's, it's a classic, you know, it's, you know, it's like going to see Paul McCartney and, and him not playing yesterday. That's true. You know, he's got to play yesterday. Yeah, you know? It's like, we have to play Yoda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think, you know, I, I personally like, I, I think our best work is always the current stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause we're. We're chasing better songs. We're we're doing better production. Uh, Al's writing is has improved. Uh, I'm not saying it was ever poor, no. but you know, it, a lot of it was just in the very early days. It was just kind of silly and wacky, yes. just to be. And it's become a lot more thoughtful and a lot I more agree. pointed. It's
0: become a lot sharper over the years. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah. he's even got some songs. skipper Dan is a song that that I, I think about that was out on the Apocalypse album in 2011, I think.
3: Started every high school play, blew every drama teacher away. Graduated first in my class at Juilliard. Took every acting workshop I could, and I dreamed of Hollywood. While I read my Hagen and studied the Bard the boards and paid my dues and got phenomenal But is the name And I'm doing
1: And, and it's a very kind of a poignant song about somebody that wanted to be an actor and ended up, you know, doing, doing shtick on the cruise ride at at like a theme park, like at Disneyland, you know, and all the jokes about, you know, look at the elephants, you know, look, there's the backside of water, you know, and stuff like that. And it's just kind of very, it's a very bittersweet kind of, you know touching song, but it's funny. You know, it's funny too. But when you sort of think of the, of the theme of it, it's like, that's, that's very sweet. That's a really sweet.
0: He has a knack for doing that too. There's heart there. That's the magic of Al. Don't you think is that like you were saying, it's clean, but it's not, it's not clean. It's It's clean because he's so sharp. And so there's so much heart there that there's no need for it not to be. He's a, he's a master of finding humor in you know,
1: everyday things. Yes,
0: exactly. And it doesn't have to be provocative or edgy or anything like that. It's like going right to the heart, you know?
1: And he's gotten, he's gotten much, much more clever and much more precise and, and about that kind of stuff. So the parodies and the originals are all, you know, they, they get better with every, you know, new batch of songs. So I always say, you know, my favorite album is always the last album that we did. Yeah. And, and uh, again, the fans don't, necessarily look at that at that way you know i mean we're involved in it and we we work on that stuff and we create the originals and we construct the parodies so we have a different involvement with it there's a different dynamic with you know we're out there performing it but for the audience sitting back listening to it you know and watching the video to it and stuff like that it's it's a different kind of thing so an audience member young or old would have a different answer than i would but you mentioned word crimes i think word crimes is is brilliant
0: i do too for so it f- That is a masterpiece of satire of like we were talking about the clever humor. That is above and beyond that one. And and that
1: was that was not even the single. No, that wasn't meant to be the single. It could have been. And what's interesting is uh, with that album, and that was a number one album. It was your uh, first one,
0: I believe, right? First one
1: debuted at number one on the the real charts, not the comedy charts, which is okay. But no, the real the Billboard 200. It was a real you know, number one album. Yeah. Very, very cool. And that album also fulfilled Al's current contract, mm. which he then did not re up. Okay. For, for w- one reason is records are just product is just not selling no. like it used to. There was no reason to try and, and get hooked, you know, stay with the label when the fans just aren't buying the product mm-hmm. like they used to, yeah. you know, it was extremely common for us to get gold and platinum albums. Uh It's, I don't know if there's any more in our future. I mean, eventually an album might creep up and cross over the threshold, but I think we're done getting those kind of awards yeah. uh, for sales. Cause there's just, it's just not there. Most but people. the other, the other thing about not being with the label is, and, and it had always been this way with the original label, Scotty brothers, who was then absorbed by uh, volcano, which was under Sony. And, and, you know, eventually <laughs> we were on Sony, but it was, it was, uh, Al had his own sort of brand called way Moby. And that was his, his, uh, imprint under Sony basically. And then eventually, and, and curiously, then the last album was on RCA. Wow. So whatever, I, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, uh... Al can, can now, instead of having to release 10 or 11 or 12 songs, you know and they don't get out until there's an album's worth of songs like Word Crimes had been in the can mm-hmm. for a little while mm-hmm. it could have been released as a single when we recorded it except that's just not how the label worked mm-hmm. now without a label if Al wants to do something that's current it'll be out next week yeah oh, and and he knows how better. to promote it and and the iTunes or spot whoever is selling music anymore these days you know they can coordinate a release date mm-hmm. so Al can promote it And, you know, you don't need a label in between anymore, knowing that it may not sell a whole lot, but at least you're not losing a bunch to the label and you don't have to wait, you know, a year and have something cool sit in the can unheard. Uh, And then by the time it comes out, it's like, God, that would have been a great single eight months ago. Right. You know, now it's like, so now, you know, we have the opportunity to record something and have it out while it's extremely current without having to put out 11 other songs just to get it out. Yeah. So Um, that's, that's the, that was, you know, the main impetus for leaving That's label
0: for you guys. Um, I, so I've been dying to know what does the collaboration process with Al and you guys look like Al talks very, I mean, he's asked all the time about his own writing process and how he comes up with these things. And I get that, but how early on does he call the band? How does he say to you, like for instance I was listening to uh, I've been listening to all the albums again lately to get ready and I was listening to Mission Statement which is obviously yeah. kind of a, a play on Sweet Judy Blue Eyes from well, Crosby
1: Mostly State. yeah
3: We must all efficiently operationalize our strategies invest in world class technology And leverage our core competencies In order to holistically administrate Exceptional synergy We'll set a brand trajectory Using management philosophy advance our market share be the vis a proven methodology with strong commitment to quality effectively enhancing corporate synergy
0: yeah and i'm thinking what came first here did did al right have an idea for a song and he uh, he applied or twisted those lyrics into a cross who still's a nash song and then come to you guys and say i have an idea help me flesh this out <laughs> does he flesh everything out before he even comes to you and then you realize the vision how does it even work
1: it's it's a it's it can work both ways okay uh I mean first off that doesn't happen on the parodies because we know exactly going in what we have sure. to do. Mm-hmm. So those those are not those aren't rehearsed they're not you know well lately they're all just programmed so there's no you know live there's okay. live vocals and that's it. But on the originals it depends. You know the 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 process on those for some time has been you know, Al will create a, his own demo. Usually, just a piano demo. Uh, it may be simple. It may be elaborate. It just depends. Uh, it'll have a vocal on it. Usually, it may have harmonies. I mean, it just depends how much he wants to put into it. And that's for us to hear, uh, to to get some ideas. And with that demo, will come certain instructions. You know, he he may say, okay, you know, for for the bass part, think, think about, you know this part in this kind of a song you know or this is this song is obviously a combination of a few songs from rem or or whoever it is or foo fighters or whoever it is you know so so do you know do this kind of a part not the exact line of course but you know something that would be reminiscent you know if that guy was to come in and work on my record what would he play Mm -hmm. you know and and same for you know al may have a specific drum part in mind or he may not he may have a specific guitar type of part or specific solo, or he may leave it completely up to us. So it it varies. I mean, it really depends. Uh, We do get together after we've heard Al's demo. We'll get together. We'll rehearse it as a band. And then we'll record a demo that we can, that he can sort of sit with and, and hear back, you know, out of the context of us sitting in the room together and, and hear that. And then there'll be a couple of more tweaks and then we'll go into the studio and we may run through those tweaks, or we may just know what the tweaks are and be able to do them. And we'll, we'll run it down in one or two or maybe three takes and okay. we've got it. Yeah. And that's it. So it's a three-step or a two-step process before we actually get into the studio. It's interesting to hear al's demos mm-hmm. and then the band demos and then the the studio version. Because mm-hmm. sometimes the band demo is quite good. Really? Because uh, because there's not the, press, the the pressure of making it perfect and it's yeah. it's very sort of organic and it you know it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not going to get scrutinized forever and ever. Mm-hmm. you know, by, by Al and by, you know, the fans. I mean, yeah. nobody's supposed to hear that stuff. Right. So it comes out sounding very natural and that's, that's a normal thing mm-hmm. for uh, you know, for bands to cut a demo then go into the studio and it's like, you know, the demo had a better feel, you know, it's, mm-hmm. and it's called chasing the demo, meaning, you know, you're, you're trying to get that same relaxed, good feel that you had when you did the demo You know, because when you go in, you get the red light fever in the studio, you're under under the gun. It's a little bit of a different thing. And I'm not saying we're nervous or anything, but we just know when we go in the studio that what we're doing has got to be right. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have the luxury of making a mistake and it's on the demo. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, don't worry. I won't do that in the studio. You know, Mm -hmm. we're, we're thinking about it, you know, and in the demo, we're just thinking about the music. Okay. So, so Al's, Al's input to us varies. Sometimes it's very specific. Sometimes it's, you know. You know, you guys know what to do with this. Yeah,
0: okay. So, so taking it, another song, for instance, like Craigslist.
3: You got a '65 Chevy Malibu with automatic drive, a custom paint job too. I'll trade you for my old wheelbar. brilliant
0: you know doors parody and i'm wondering does he like again a similar question but would he come to you and say i have a song i want to write about craigslist and i think making it sound like the doors makes sense like Or do you say to him, you know who would be really clever here is if we did a Doors parody? And do the words, is there always a correlation between, like I can't figure out if, you know, if there's something inherent about Craigslist that I'm missing that should remind me of the Doors? Or is it just funny that the two things go together?
1: It's just funny that they go together. There's no no rhyme or reason. Uh, He doesn't really run that stuff by us. I mean, he's already made... The decisions about about what the, the vibe of the song is going to be and, and who the, the target band is mm-hmm. and and then what the lyrics are. And, and you know, he may have he may have just been thinking, you know, Craigslist may have run through his head, mm-hmm. you know, and he just sort of applied it to a, a line in a door song mm-hmm. and just and went from there. Yeah. You know, you would have to ask him exactly okay. how it happens. He came up with that and decided it was going to be a door. Well, no, yeah. I mean, I just
0: how he yes, brings I, it to I, you and where, what point in the process he brings you with.
1: Well, it's after he's done a demo and says, i got these demos of these things and you know, this is what it's going to be. And, and we say, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he's already made the decision. Got it. I don't think there's ever been a time. Uh, there was no, there was one time that a song well, it was not an original, but we were doing it in a different style than, than the original. And uh we did it was lasagna. Sure for La, okay. La bamba Uh huh. I think I have a recording of of the version that we did first and neither of them were like the Richie Valens, La Bamba, Uh, you know, and I don't think they were intended to be, Uh but we had like two versions of the song. We had a version that we literally came in the next day and re-recorded it. And that's the version that wound up on even worse. Mm. So somewhere, and I'm sure I have a tape of it. Mm. There, there was a different vibe. There was a different approach to doing that song. Why it got changed. I don't know, but we, we were able to make it up on the spot the next day and cut wow. it but um, normally he's he's already got all that stuff all figured out when it comes okay. to us
0: so let me ask you to uh, another question i had like if i were to if i listen to a song like velvet elvis and Stuart copeland i mean it's done in sort of a police style
2: my life it used to be incomplete till i saw what i was looking for. It won't be the same again Now I'm proud to say The king lives on inside
0: Stuart Copeland is such a specific and singular drummer. There's no one that sounds like Stuart Copeland. But when you have to play Velvet Elvis, you have to sound like Stuart Copeland. That's that's the goal. That's the goal, right. And so I'm wondering, too, from like a... Um, from like a like an equipment perspective, do you have to go buy a certain kind of drum? Do you have to learn how to play that drum? Do you have to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's you can't just sit at any old set that you have and make it work for every parody you ever do.
1: No, I, I and and consequently, I've got a lot of gear that I I've assembled do. <laughs> specifically. Well, I, I I have 112 snare drums.
0: Oh, uh, really?
1: I, I have uh, 30 well, I, I'm down to 34 drum sets wow. and I've got, uh, well over a thousand symbols, symbols, oh. particularly because you can't modify the sound of a cymbal. Yeah. I mean, you can take a drum, you can take a, a snare drum and make, and get a lot of different sounds out of it, you know, and, and it's probably a good idea to have four or five, six snares, different sizes, different materials, you know, other different, uh, 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 stuff on it, hoops, make a difference. You know, there's a lot of difference between snares, but you can take a snare and do a lot of make it a lot of different snare sounds out of it. Mm -hmm. When you have a cymbal, you get that one cymbal sound, that pitch, that vibe, the wash, the decay, everything is, you can't modify Mm -hmm. that. You can't tune it. You can't really do anything else with it. You can't turn it into a different sounding cymbal. Mm -hmm. So I have you know, a, well, a, a rather impressive, collection of symbols yes, because that's that has a lot to do with the vibe of a drum set yeah yeah um, so it's it's uh yes i i have a, acquired a whole lot of gear specifically yeah, yeah, for the I al gig
0: think. okay um i wanted to ask you to you know <laughs> uhf the movie which may have been some kind of i saw it in the theater with friends i'm proud to say and you were the uh, one <laughs> i was the one me and my two buddies brandon and lane we saw it in the theater in Salt Lake City, Utah. And um, it's one of those movies that I've since shown my kids. And it's like a lot of great comedies. It gets funnier every time you see it and makes more sense every time you see it. And if you watch something like the Behind the, Behind the Music episode, that period is really seen as like a you know the, the low point, the Nadir. This is when things were going bad and people didn't care about Weird Al anymore. And I was curious what your perspective of that era was. Did you, was there any sort of true desperation at the time? Or was it like, this is, we do our thing and some of it hits, some of it doesn't, but we just keep doing our thing and eventually everything works itself out.
1: Well, it, uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's ups and downs, you know, it wasn't that much of a down, although UHF and also Polka party from 86 were our two worst, worst. I, I don't want to say worst selling because that changed over the years but our worst charting albums, let's say. And, and we're not good sellers. Neither of them even went gold. And we had got to a point where we really, most most of our albums went gold and, and several of those went platinum. So, you know, we weren't used to not having a hit album, you know, or even a hit single. We hadn't toured, we last toured in 87 and then uh, went out again in 92, which was a pretty long gap to not be on the road. And part of that was because one with with the polka party not being a hit we couldn't really tour with that album Uh, we did go out with the monkeys in 87 just because you know because it was uh, uh we were invited and it was like you know well there's there's our tour you know that we don't really have to pay for you know exactly and and a chance to get out and have people see us you know without the expense of trying to tour on a on a album that didn't do very well and a single that did Living living with a Hernia, which I thought was a good single, It was not a big hit by any means, not compared to Eat It and Like a Surgeon, stuff like that. All of a sudden, you know, this album comes out and the single and the album don't do very well. It's like, eh. Uh, We went out with the Monkeys in 87, 88. We had Even Worse, which was a hit album. Fat was a a hit. Uh, We didn't tour because Al was beginning to work on UHF at that point. So we didn't tour on that. Uh, UHF album and movie come out in uh, summer, I guess, of, of 89. I the movie was up against several other major movies. Uh,
0: Batman, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I remember uh, that summer so uh, well.
1: One of uh one of the uh uh what was the Harrison Ford movies? Uh, uh it was uh,
0: Indiana Jones last crusade jo- Yeah. That was the was... summer I turned 16 and I finally had a driver's license and could drive to movies. So I remember that summer very well yeah
1: I, there was probably one of the star trek movies was out yep. i mean that's it was right. it was tough you know the uhf was in the theaters for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and i think it opened in like 12 or 1300 theaters which is mm-hmm. nice that's impressive and and got squeezed out pretty quick so not not really a hit movie not a hit album by any means and i'm i'm not sure if any of us i mean al was probably concerned i don't know if you know i i had a day job for many years so i wasn't that concerned about really? income yeah. Oh yeah. Even concurrent with, uh, all the gold and platinum albums and everything. That's a whole, what was your that's, day job? that's a whole other show. Really? Uh, yeah. Can
0: you briefly tell us what your day job was?
1: I'll, I'll try. I'll try. Okay. I, I worked for, and there's a whole story about how it came about, but it's all connected. It's connected with Al. I mean, yeah. everything that's happened to me is connected with, with having met Al. Yeah. You know, everything that's happened to me in the last 40 plus years. Yeah. And, the the Dr. Demento show, when it was syndicated, was was syndicated by a company called Westwood One, mm-hmm. who, who are best kind of... They still do programming now. They're kind of known as a sports network. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that, there was a, a fledgling radio syndication company. They syndicated the Dr. Demento show. Al finishes his college studies at the end of uh, 1980, mm-hmm. maybe beginning of 81, and comes back to L.A., needs a job. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Demento got him into the mail room at Westwood one and, uh, Al actually moved up into another department, came back to the mail room mm-hmm. later, but I, I was working another job at the time I met Al and, uh, had, had quit that soon after. And at some point Al said, you know, there's an opening in the mail room at Westwood one, this was like 1982. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to, uh, you want to come down and, you know, come down and apply. You know, I said, yeah, I said, sure. Cause I wasn't doing anything. You know, we'd actually already recorded our first album. It just hadn't been picked up yet. Mm.
2: Okay.
1: So, uh, I came down and, and, uh, applied and, you know, told, told the, uh, boss, you know, the, the, the lady there I was applying to, you know, yeah, you know, I'm a drummer. I work with Al Yankovic back in the mailroom, you know, and, uh, you know, at some point we'll, you know, hopefully we'll go on the road. I'm going to have to leave. She says, yeah, yeah. You, you make sure you let us know when that happens. Uh, uh. <laughs> anyway. Well, the following year it did happen. Al left the company um, and continued on with, you know, with, with uh, just being Weird Al, solo artist. I, however, came back, and this was the beginning of of years and years of my going on the road with Al and then returning to the company. Sometimes with a promotion, sometimes I quit. Thinking this is, you know, this got to be getting old for all of us. I'm just going to quit and I'll figure out something when I get back from tour. And they would call me while I was on the road. You know, would you like to come back? You know, I said, yeah, I'm not going to be free till September. No, that's okay. We'll wait. Uh, When you come back, you're going to be the office manager and the purchasing manager. Is that okay? I said, "Uh, okay. You know, uh, so I did this. I did this from like our first tour was in 83 and I uh, just a short tour three, three and a half weeks. And I came back. And uh, went out again in 84 twice, went out in 85, went out in 87. Happily for them, I was home for five years until 92, went out in 92, 93, 94, 95, 96. And then the 96 tour was a five-month tour. And it was like we both at that point were like, you know, that's, that's, I don't need or want to go back. And we, yeah, we need to, you know, but they couldn't really fire me because I had, I had a leave of absence. So I came back and they said, well, what, uh, you know, what would you like to do? You know, do you want to explore something in uh, the production department? You know, we're, you know, we're not firing you. I said, well, I don't know. I'll let you know. And I never did. I never called him back. Really? So that was faded away. I just, it just sort of went away and, and, uh, you know, that was fine. And, and it was fine, you know, so I, I, but It wasn't, it wasn't weird at all. And a lot of my musicians friends would have killed to be in my shoes to have like a a regular paycheck year round and still be able to go off and do this other thing. Uh, And it was pretty cool. And I didn't abuse it when I was on the job, I was on the job and I I saved that company a lot of money, not just because I would go away and not be on salary. But I, as, as purchasing manager, I mean, I saved that company millions of dollars Yeah, and which, you know. So that's, anyway, good that that was, that was, that was my day job. It was widely known. I mean, I, if, if a gold record was, you know, we got a gold record, I would have it shipped to the office, you know, all, all of the gear I had ships from the companies I was dealing yeah. with, they shipped them to my office. You know, it was not a secret by any means. That is great. And I never, never, ever missed a session or a gig or a TV appearance without. Good for you, man. That is So incredible. that's, that's, uh, you know, they were very good to me. I yeah. dare say. That would not happen again.
0: I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, And
1: not in today's employment climate, um, that that would um, not happen.
0: So I wanted to ask you, we have some Patreon supporters, and I always let them know who I'm going to be interviewing, and if they want to submit questions, they're welcome to. And one of them in particular, Andy, asked me to ask you about that 87 tour with the Monkees. And I'm embarrassed to say, I wrote down my notes, not getting along, question mark, and I'm trying to remember if they weren't getting along or you guys all didn't get along with each other, is there a story about the monkeys tour in 87 where someone's not getting along with someone else?
1: Well, the, the, uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't really bad, but the three guys, Mickey, Davy, Peter, I mean, they each had their own bus, which, you know, they, they could, or they should, you sure. know, it was, it was an expense, but they did that. And, and that was fine. I, you know, I don't want to, they, they had three distinct personalities. I don't think, uh, anything ever came to blows with any of them. You know, uh, uh, it was just, uh, it was an interesting dynamic. You know, we, we got along well with Peter. Peter was sort of the most normal guy. Davey was kind of the, the Paul McCartney type. Mickey was a little, was a little uh, distant. He wasn't unfriendly. He just wasn't, you know, the guy you would sit down and, and have dinner with him, at, you know, before the show, he, he would be the last guy you would sit down with Peter You know, would be the guy you would find and and do that, but no, there wasn't any real, uh, there wasn't any weird, nothing ever came to blows. Nobody ever, you know, walked out of, of the show or something like that. No, it was, you know, uh, and our group, and it's been the same guys in the group since 82, uh, we, we got along great. We get along fine. Interestingly on that tour and a couple of tours, uh, we've had, uh, either Steve, the bass player or Jim sometimes, uh, had other projects that they had to do. They had other commitments and not that they don't love Al, but they would leave the tour and we would have a sub come in and, and sit in for them. So there've been some times. And the monkeys tour was one of those where I think Steve started the tour and, uh, was uh, We had another guy come in who was a guy I had introduced from the group uh, to the group. He was in a group with me in, in 85 or something. And then Steve came back and, and resumed the tour. He was gone about f- maybe five weeks or something. But we also changed keyboard players. <laughs> so, so Steve starts out, and we got Pat Regan on keyboards. And then he, uh, I, I forgot exactly when the change happened, but about two, three weeks into the tour, Pat left. And we got another keyboard player in who finished out the tour.
0: I do find it interesting that the core has been together for so long. And I wonder what is it about Al himself, the nature of you all's place in the business, uh, the level of fame that you have, which is big, but also can walk down the street. What, what incites or inspires such loyalty to this particular project? Is it, Everyone gets along, decent human beings, devotion. What is it?
1: It's, it's fun. We enjoy it. You know, it's, it's, we enjoy doing it
0: at the end of the it, day. It's fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, that's the most important thing. That's more yeah. important than the money and the money's okay. I mean, you know, we're not, we're not rich. We're not poor, mm-hmm. but you know, we have a good time and that's, that's, you know, doing what we do with each other and, and with Al and that's, that's what it's about. You know, right. we, we enjoy doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you specifically, I find it so fascinating. You're the archivist of all of this, right? You've been, you're the keeper of the flame. You, from what I understand, have like one of the biggest archives ever for any one artist, but it's all for Al. The pictures and the recordings and every date is, you know, documented somewhere. How did you get into this and why?
1: I just, I've always done that. I've always kept kept, uh, souvenirs and mementos of what I do. You know, maybe I just like to be reminded what I do. Yeah. So I'd always done that with all the, the new wave bands I was in, you know, playing clubs and stuff. If there was a flyer, I kept a flyer. Mm. If I could take photos and I was always taking photos, I did. And I kept all of those. I kept all the negatives. That's another, another thing that, that uh, I want to bring up. Yeah. Your uh, book in, in a, in a bit that has to do, has to do with the book. But sure. basically as far as why I do all that stuff, that's just, it's what I've always done. And so when I met Al, in fact, not knowing, you know, what, what the future would hold the night I met him, I still kept the, uh, the, uh, security pass to be (laughs) at the radio station on the Dr. Demento show. I still have that. Wow. And, and, uh, that was, you know, that got filed away with stuff, Mm -hmm. even though I had no idea what, what would happen next. It was just like, Oh, I got to be on the Dr. Demento show. I'm keeping the pass. So that's, that's the beginning of the archive is the night I met him. I've got that pass.
0: That's great. And and,
1: but every other photo I've ever taken, I've got those. I've kept the negatives safe. You know, the the, uh, a lot of those pictures have been seen online. Mm -hmm. I started what became Mm weirdal.com in 1995. I just keep all that stuff. You know, I got when there's when we play a gig, if there's a poster for the gig, I keep it. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the merchandise that that has been on tour with us, the very first merchandise stuff we sold was in 1984. Mm -hmm. I've got. Every item that we sold, every keychain, every hat, every whatever it is, towels, bags, you know, of t-shirts, of course, regular polo shirts. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything that was sold. And and it's not a big deal. They just make sure at the beginning of the tour, you know, here's a box with one of everything mm-hmm. for the archive, mm-hmm. and it just gets put away. You know, if I want something that's separate from the archive, you know, then I get an extra one for myself if I that's want it.
0: That's correct. I have to ask, is there one piece that is sort of considered your most favorite or the Holy grail, or is there, you know, what would be the thing that if the house were on fire, you're like, I could not, I have to have my Hawaiian shirt from the 1992 tour right. or whatever.
1: Yeah. That's it's, it's hard to say, uh, funny. You should it's say on pictures. fire because, oh, well, ahead. no, cause there, cause all the, all the images, all that stuff are in safes, mm. all the product, all the videos, cassettes, CDs, LPs, 45s, uh, are all in, in fire safes. Uh, so very, not much can happen to those. Uh, so that kind of stuff is pretty protected. There's a lot of stuff that's, that, you know, that's sort of vulnerable. I, you know, the, the one, probably the one thing and, and it's offsite as well is, uh, uh, Al's accordion case, his first accordion case that I played on the show. You played the on the, show. the one rides the bus. Yeah.
2: Riding in a bus down the boulevard and the place was pretty back too.
3: i one by the bus. Sir.
1: took over and i i, I built a, a rack for it i mean i really i shouldn't have if i'd had any idea you know, i wouldn't have put holes in it and and ruined it but it's that's that's the one sort of you know very cool singular thing i mean there's not another one of those around uh, and that's that's actually an al's storage unit which i kind of look after i have yeah. i have uh I have his stuff where I keep my stuff and cause it's close by there's a loading dock. And then when it's time to go on the road, I go down there and meet the the truck and everything's on wheels and we push all the stuff in the truck and, and that's it. So anyway, so I've, you know, there's some shelves in there that had a little space on them. So I've gradually begun to put some of the archive in there just so it's not hanging around here. And so it's, you know, if something happens to me, at least he's got part of it. Yeah. But my wife, you know, knows very well what happens to all of this stuff if I go and, uh, you know, it all, it all goes to Alan, you know, or yeah. his family, you know, whatever, whoever it is in 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Fascinating.
0: Okay. Tell me about the book. I've been, I was purposely saving that kind of to the end because I wanted to get into the archive part portion of your life after we talked about the music. Tell me about this book.
1: The book, the book came about, well, I, I I'd always taken pictures of everything. So when I met Al, uh, the second time I saw Al in my life, I had my camera with me. And, and took a few pictures and, and you know, and it just kind of went from there. And and I shot mostly color. I shot black and white when I was living at home and had a dark room. Uh, so I was familiar with black and white. Didn't shoot a lot of it, though, later on. And there were some things that we started doing, uh, specifically the first video we did, Ricky, in 1983. Uh, I just thought, you know what, I I'd really like to get this in black and white. That would be really cool, kind of a... You know a very documentary kind of look to it you know i just and i shot a lot of color and i shot a lot of black and white and for about three years i would i would shoot black and white on on certain things sometimes in the studio some video shoots never on the road because on the road i would take my film to a one hour place so i could get copies right away and they didn't process black and white that way so and i i knew that because i always went to one hour places so i wasn't able to shoot black and white on the road but at any rate so when i had the black and white done I would uh, just get contact sheets made and then they would just get put away. You know, it never really occurred to me to get individual prints made. Don't know why, just never did it. We had we blew up a couple of them. There were a couple of frames from the Ricky video and the I Love Rocky Road video that got blown up and had been seen. But beyond that, like I had five or six rolls from Edith. None of those were ever seen before. Al had never seen them, you know, just buried. Well, in in my archiving ways... Uh, and and in the meantime, uh, a lot of the pictures, a lot of the color pictures had been scanned and had been online. Uh, they've, been, they've appeared in books, stuff like that. But they're all from whatever the photo I've got and however much I could, you know, manipulate it and make it look good. Working on colors and density and stuff like that. Uh, and a lot of the stuff that had been on the web was put up at a time when, you know, the uh, screen resolution was small. It was 640 by 480, maybe 800 by 600 if you had a big screen. So, you know, I would make these things and bandwidth was, you were still on dial-up, for example, uh, web space was limited. So I, I had all these pictures that were deliberately small and now a three 320 by 240 picture, you know, on a 640 by 480 screen takes up a quarter of the screen. So that's, you know, that's didn't look so bad, you know, 25 years ago. Now it's this big and it's crunchy and it's just, you know, it's atrocious. So there was, you know, a lot of my photos have been seen. The black and white ones had not, I had just finished archiving all of my uh, audio tapes and thought, you know what? I I should really start thinking about my negatives. You know, I, I shot negative uh, film from like 1973 to 2007. Actually, I started shooting digital in 98. By the time digital cameras got really good, I let the film go all And a lot of that, you know, certainly half of it was, was Al. So in thinking about that and in going through to see exactly what I had, and it was all organized and safely kept, I came back across these black and white, about 20 rolls of black and white film, the contact sheets. And I took a really close look at them and, and realized that they looked really, there were some really good photos in there and that nobody had ever seen them. This was in 2017, so I, I it dawned on me that uh, maybe you know I could put them out there in some way. You know, maybe I could uh, put a book out, something you know that, that the fans would like to see these. So I asked Al. I said, "Do you mind if I, you know, I've, I've got all these negatives, you know, of pictures nobody's seen, all black and white? Can I, maybe I can do a book? Is that okay with you?" He says, "Yeah, you know, go ahead." So eventually, one of our friends from Sony. Uh, was at uh, you know, this is well after the, uh, we had split from the label, but I had worked with him on the box set that came out in 2017. In fact, there's a 122 page booklet in they're full of my photos, either photos that I'd taken or, you know, that, that were part of my collection. And I knew who took all the photos. If they were a fan who had given me their live shots and they were being used, I knew who the fan was, made sure everyone got credited and, and, uh, you know, in some cases paid, I think anyway, This, this, uh, guy, Mike Duquette from legacy, the, the, uh, reissue arm of Sony, uh, was at the show and and we were, it's 2019 and we were just talking and I said, and I, I don't know what made me think of it two years after the fact, but I said, you know, I've, I've got these negatives. I'm thinking of putting out a book, you know, of, of black and white photos that nobody's seen of Al, you know, from the early, early years. And he says, oh, you know, that's nice. And not long after that, he sent me an email. He says, if you're still moving forward with this book, check with this publisher. Check with uh, it's a friend of mine, Matthew Chonaki at 1984 Publishing in Cleveland. Uh, does pop culture uh, coffee table books. You know, sounds might be up your alley. Yeah. And a couple more months went by. And, and by the end of about tw- of 2019, I did contact Matthew. And within a week, we had signed a contract and, and we're moving forward on the book. Uh, I went and had, uh, I, I had had some of the negative scanned just to see if they would possibly work out and they looked great. Mm. So I had, I had the rest of them scanned. Uh, I wrote copies. We chapterized everything. Uh, I had Al approve all of the photos I was submitting. I didn't want there to be any surprises. Not that I thought there was anything weird in there, but just in case he thought he had a funny look in, on, in one photo and didn't want it. He approved every single photo, That's great. uh, every single one. They didn't all get used, but, but he, he knew what was coming. Yeah. And, and the pandemic hit shortly thereafter and fortunately didn't really derail the book Mm -hmm. by much. I mean, it got delayed like about six or eight weeks Mm -hmm. and, and which is not bad all things considered uh, considered supply chains and, and, you know, uh, uh, stores and online, you know, Amazon, for example, was not really accepting non-essential new product uh, at the time. Anyway, by the time the book came out in November of 2019, everything that retail wise had gone back to normal, came out just in time for Christmas uh, just before Black Friday before it got obscured by all of that mm-hmm. and and sold very well for Christmas and continues to sell now. in fact, uh, I bought a copy <laughs> uh, black and white black and white and weird all over but in, in this this idea about scanning the negatives now last year was taken up uh, you know putting the book together and, and helping promote the book and all that. And I realized, you know, I never got to start scanning all those negatives I wanted to do, you know, back in 2017. Not long ago, I got a scanner, uh, a dedicated negative scanner for 35 millimeter and also do the few slides I've got. And I began doing all of my color film, all of the stuff that, you know, apart from the book, uh, 377 rolls all together. I'm right. I'm, I'm in the I past well past the halfway point right now. Uh-huh. And and I expect to be done, uh, possibly last week of July. Wow! And, and I've scanned every day for the last like 80 days, except one. I took one day off, but I've scanned. You know, sometimes one roll, two rolls, usually three or four rolls, sometimes five rolls. You know, if I yeah. if I get small rolls and I stay on it, I can get five rolls done in a day. Really? Uh, keeping a list of all the stuff I've done, the, the number of frames, everything. Mm-hmm. I'll have a summary at the end that I'll put on Facebook for those who are curious. So, so, so I'm seeing, I'm reliving my life frame by frame from like yeah. age 16 or 17 to, you know, to my, to, to about 50. Mm-hmm. And uh seeing a lot of stuff there you know that i haven't seen since i shot them and and had a print in my hand and probably gave it to the person who was in the picture and never saw it again mm-hmm. so i am seeing all these really really great you know images uh the the scans are working out great they're they're clean they're dynamic uh they're they're not faded or yellowed or any of that weird stuff uh they really look That's good That's fantastic. They're really crisp. So good. And there's so a lot good. of there's a lot of al stuff in there and it would be You know, it's possible there could be another book of stuff. Now, a lot of these, you know, the good ones have been seen, but like I said, they've been seen in little crunchy small files, or they've been seen as a scan of a small print. You know, that I've tried to enhance, and I've gone back and looked at those compared to the negative, taking it from the negative, and it's night and day. I mean, it's a complete 180 from each other. I mean, you know, people. Who have a who have the couple of these books or had the box set booklet, you know, with a lot of these photos in it, would absolutely like a book with fresh versions of them. I'm hoping.
0: Yeah, yeah, and,
1: and we'll see. That's great. So that's kind of that's part of why I'm doing it. The other part is it's the archivist in me. Yeah. And and I just wanted to have those, in in a format the digital that I could uh, you know give them to the people who are in the photos or if I need to put something online I've got it or if I need to do something with it I don't have to go find the print scan it and and then you know blow it up and then uh, you know photoshop it and try and make it look right and you know it's never quite as crisp as taking it from the negative yeah so I'm seeing things from 30 40 years ago that are just dead sharp I and,
0: believe
1: it and bright yeah. and 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 never and the prints never looked that good back then.
0: Any musician would do this with all of their recorded music and history. And you have all these different creative outlets. So I'm sure you've done the same thing with all of your musical recordings. And now you're doing it with your photographic recordings too. I mean, it makes total sense for someone to just continue to document all of their creative output.
1: Well, I I did that. I mean, I, I I've in 2017 I finished all of my tapes. Did you all all of my cassettes and reels and and uh, DATs, mm-hmm. mini discs. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I I had all these you know legacy format kind of things, and and uh, got them all digitized and and uh, you know I. I I didn't I I did no editing. I just I ran them straight. Uh I didn't d- do the phasing on it. I did not I just committed them to digital and we will worry about it if I ever have to go back to them. And a couple of things I've gone back to. Uh, everything's documented in a database, as are these photos that I'm scanning now. Uh not frame by frame necessarily, but every date. Uh the the frame the range of frame numbers, every every image has a code that tells me the date and the frame number. If I shot several rolls on one day, like I did with the videos, mm-hmm. I can tell one roll, one roll's frame number 18 from another roll's frame number 18, mm-hmm. you know, cause otherwise they would have the same date and the same frame number. Yeah. So I have another little digit in there that tells me that, you know, these came from this role. Sometimes I know what order they were shot in roll A, B, C, D, E, F. Sometimes I don't. And it's, it's, you know, it's not that critical. I can, I can only get so exact. Right. Exactly, yeah. And if anyone que- you know, I mean, uh, ultimately, if I say that something was taken in a certain order, they're just going to have to believe me. Yeah. They, uh, I'm sure
0: they'll forgive you.
1: For knowing, that. knowing how I am about stuff. If I say something is a certain way, they will assume it's correct.
0: Right. Right. Um, okay. I, I'm so grateful you talked to me. I have one last question. Okay. Um, I am curious, you know, we hear again, going back to Al, we hear the stories all the time of his interactions with the people that he parodies and their approvals or not or whatever. And I'm wondering what your story is. I'm wondering what your favorite story is. Do you ever get to interact with these people? Do you have a drummer hero that you Ringo or somebody that you got to talk to or have a beer with or hang out with? What's your favorite story when you look back on all this?
1: Not, you know, not so much to do with Al. I mean, I've, I've met and, and know some of the drummers who, you know, who I've parodied, mm-hmm. uh, but but uh, I, I've just met drummers through other musical associations sure. through uh, you know, the the NAM show, uh, the uh, other artists that are on the roster with me at the drum company I endorse, symbol company, stick company, whatever it is. Uh, I, so I've met a lot of people uh, through there. Now, obviously, oh. if I was not Al's drummer, you know, they would probably oh. not shake my hand. No, actually, you know, they everyone's everyone's a nice guy, yeah, uh, they they would. It doesn't hurt that it's, you know, I'm Al Strummer and over the years, and some of these guys I've known for many, many years, they are, you know, they've moved on to, they play with a different band or whatever. They've st- maybe stopped. They're, they're not active anymore. And I'm still active with Al and they're, they're like amazed at that. They're very, and I, I'm, I mean, we're all kind of amazed at it too. I mean, most bands do not last as long as we do with the original members still making, you know, still touring, still making hit records, you know our last album was a number one album i mean there's u2 there's zz top that's what i was thinking you know who who have stayed together not split up you know i mean yeah the go-go's it's still the five of them but they've come and gone and done all sorts you know but and and uh really i mean uh, there's only a couple of bands out there that that are where we're at you know in terms of Of what we do in terms of the same guys still making music and still and still attracting an audience, and that's pretty good company. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. It is.
0: Well, um, thanks for talking with me, Bermuda. Oh, sure. I uh, I've been so curious about you, and I'm so glad we did this because I just find, I mean, the niche you've carved for yourself is fascinating. The way you approach your career is fascinating. All of it is. It's, there's just not that many people out there that do what you guys do and do it to the level that you do it. And I just wanted to get to understand that better.
1: So thanks well, for thank chatting. You. I appreciate it, John. Thank you very much. All right. There
0: you have it. There's a John Bermuda Schwartz. <laughs> Again, I just thought, what must it be like to be in the world of Weird Al for 40 years? And for every step of it, every second of it, John has been there and is keeping track so again the book black and white and weird all over the lost photographs of weird al yankovic 83 to 86 i think i have that right that's all from memory folks again the link to john's website is in the description of the show get on there and check it out for yourself if you want now uh, and again another huge thanks to our buddy jeremy for helping set this up thank you buddy uh, now, next week, we have a really special guest, too. Next week is one half of one of the greatest singing duos of the last 35 years. Revolutionary artists, these people. We get to hear from one half of them next week, and I am so excited to share this one with you. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man, Markiewicz, my right-hand man. Thank you, buddy, for everything. You folks know what to do. You can find us on Facebook and like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at the at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at The hustlepod. By the way, we should have a bonus episode coming out later this week. I'm not exactly sure when. It might be tomorrow, it might be over the weekend. That Who book that I mentioned that we're doing the book club on, that's coming out soon, in the next few days. Hopefully, if all goes well. You know how it is, schedules get crazy, okay? That's it, folks. Thanks. We love you. I'm a punk, I must protect them
3: My ergonomic keyboard never leaves me bored Shopping online for deals on some writable media I edit Wikipedia I memorize Holy Grail really well I can recite it right now and have you R-O-T-F-L-O-L I got a business doing websites While yes. well, my friends need some code, who do they call? I do HTML for all. Even made a homepage for my doll Yo, I got myself a fanny pack They were having a sale down at the Gap in my nights with a roll of bubble wrap Pop, pop, hope no one sees me getting freaky I'm nerdy in the extreme and whiter than sour cream I was in a V-club and Glee club and even the chair Team. Only question I ever thought was hard What do I like, Kirk, or do I like Picard? Spend every weekend at the Renaissance Fair Got my name on my underwear They see me strolling They laughing And rolling their eyes Because I'm so white and nerdy Just because I'm white and nerdy Just because I'm white and nerdy All because I'm white and nerdy I'm just too wide and nerdy, I'm just too wide and nerdy Look at me I'm-